is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, June 28, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott is working from ESPN in Bristol. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut. And I'm Buster only working from my home in Montana. Well, last night, Shohei Otani amazed us again. <laughs> like, it feels like Taylor and Sarah, like, every day we have to come up with new words to describe Otani. The producers on SportsCenter, I go on there, and I can't tell you how many times they've asked me, can you please put this into context? And, and I feel like such a loser, because I'm like, all you can say is it's the first time we've ever seen any of this. <laughs> I think later on in the podcast, not too long from now, you're going to no. hear Eduardo Perez drop the U-word. And we don't say it a ton, probably should be said more, but he's going to say the U-word in context or in reference to Shohei Otani. And I think it's out. Okay. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see what he says. I would say that what he's doing, it's almost like, Sarah, like Patrick Mahomes leading the league in passing and also being a Lawrence Taylor on defense, you know, a, a game-changing linebacker. That's kind of like the equivalent of what he's doing in baseball with the impact. Honestly, that's a pretty fair comparison. It really is. He does it all. It's, it's insane. It really is. Yeah, he, he was, uh, what a night he had last night. Bottom of the first inning in a game, he started on the mound after throwing a shutout top of the first. This is what he did in the bottom of the first. The Angels had two homers in the first inning against them, and here's a ball that's absolutely blasted out into right center field, and it is showtime. Otani launches a missile. Just talking about what happened the last time the Angels faced Kopech in the first inning, and Otani has just blasted number 27 of the season. What a shot that was. And he was rolling along with a 2-0 lead, top of the seventh inning on the mound. There's one that's a pitch that was chased and missed, and the ball got away, and the strikeout on Vaughn, but the runner... Jimenez will move up to second base. Yeah, tenth strikeout in the game for Shohei, and this one's a slider, and it just takes off. Otani had to come out of the game because of cracked fingernail, but that didn't prevent him from batting in the bottom of the seventh inning. Understand Otani left his pitching assignment because of a cracked fingernail. Here's a pitch that he hits well out in the left center field. It's carrying deep out there, and this one is out of here. Cracked fingernail or not, Otani the hitter has hit his second home run tonight. That is number 28 of the season, and the Angels have a 3-1 lead. Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AMA 30. The Angels win that game 4-2. And coming up, Eduardo Perez will tell you how Otani has improved as a hitter this year. Last year was about improvement as a pitcher. This year, it's about improvement in what he's doing in the batter's box. A team that the Angels are competing with for a wild-card spot in the American League. The New York Yankees were in Oakland last night, and it was a sad state of affairs. Wind the pitch, high drive, deep right. Bowers back a few steps at the track. He's at the wall, and out it goes, up on the ledge. Seth Brown is sixth home run of the year. A majestic drive to right, and it's 2 nothing Oakland. Vince Catronio, A's casts. Yeah, final score, 2-1. to one. 
And Taylor, it must feel like if you play Oakland these days, if you lose a game to them, it must feel like having a 10-game losing streak all in one night. It's brutal. And the Rays would probably say the th- same thing about losing the Royals. I mean, if you can't fatten up on those teams, you got to you got to look in the mirror. Yeah, especially with how close the American League race looks like it's going to be for the Yankees, a missed opportunity in that game. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Well, the hottest ticket uh, early this week, the series between the Diamondbacks and the Rays, because both these teams having such good seasons. The Rays, the best team in baseball for a lot of this year. The Diamondbacks leading the National League West, and they continued that last night with help from Corbin Carroll. 3-2, swing, high fly ball, center field and deep. Siri back onto the track, turns, that one is off the wall. It's gone. Three-run home run for Corbin Carroll. Top of the zone, fastball, and Carroll just hammered this ball. I mean, that's where he likes the ball, out over the plate where he can extend his arms, and he extended that ball right over the yellow line in center field. From Arizona Sports 98.7 FM, the Diamondbacks win 8-4. to Corbin Carroll, the easy front runner for National League Rookie of the Year, and I think right now he's probably running second for National League MVP. The front runner also had a good night last night. We'll talk about that in a moment. Diamondbacks plays pitcher Merrill Kelly uh, on the 15-day injury list because of a calf injury. This is uh, for the Diamondbacks in the close National League West. That is a tough injury. The Rangers and the Tigers. In the bottom of the eighth inning, the Rangers were trailing until this happened. Again, the 3-2. Swing and a drive down the left field line. Fair ball. Yes, it is. Ezekiel Duran. A little bat flip, a little point to his teammates in the dugout. Zeke has given the Rangers a 4-3 lead. That from 105.3, the fan, the score was tied when he hit that home run. The Texas Rangers weren't behind, and they went on and scored a bunch more runs. They went 8-3. The Tigers announced that Matthew Boyd, who had to leave the game on Monday with elbow issues, is going to undergo Tommy John surgery. So, Matt Boyd, a veteran who's tried to work his way back from injuries in the past, he's got a long road ahead. The Dodgers, the Rockies, uh, in Colorado, Clayton Kershaw was tremendous on the mound again, and J.D. Martinez had himself a day at the plate. And there's a shot to left field. Rofar going back. He looks up, and it's gone. It's unbelievable what J.D. Martinez does in Colorado. He's hitting near 450 against the Rockies in his career. Now has five home runs and 16 runs batted in against them. He's knocked in three of the five Dodger runs tonight. It is five to nothing. And oh, by the way, that was career homer number 300 for J.D. Martinez. Charlie Steiner, AM 570, LA Sports. The Guardians faced the Royals. They fell behind 1-0 in the bottom of the eighth inning, but in the top of the ninth, Will Brennan did this. The pitch, Brennan rips one down the right field line. Fair ball and into the corner. That'll score Arias. Jimenez is being waved around. No throw to the plate. Will Brennan with a two-run double into the right field corner. And the Guardians have a 2-1 to lead in the ninth. That was the final score, 2-1. to Tom Hamilton on WTAM 1100. By the way, Terry Francona, the Guardians manager, was tested by medical personnel before the game. He actually spent overnight in a hospital trying to get word this morning about how Terry is feeling. Joe Ryan started for the Twins against the Braves last night in Truist Field. Atlanta, of course, just kills it in the first inning. 
Joe Ryan coming off a dominant outing against the Red Sox last night would not go nearly as well. First inning, Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, Sean Murphy all hit home runs. Michael Harris homered to open the scoring in the bottom of the second. Ronald Acuna Jr. came to the plate again in the bottom of the second. Ripped down the left field line, curling toward the bullpen. She is gone! Acuna has done it again! Back-to-back jacks by Harris and Acuna. It is six to one, Braves. Unbelievable. Five homers in the first two innings that call from 680, the fan. The Braves have more first-inning home runs this year, Taylor, than the Mets have first-inning runs. Think about that. They don't lose, man. They are very, very scary right now. Get your get your future bets in for the Braves World Series. Yeah, they won that game 6-2. to The Mets, meanwhile, uh, of course, scuffling of late. They faced the Brewers game two of that series, and Brandon Nemo had himself a day. The 1-1, that's lined in the air to left center and deep. Weimer going back at the track, at the wall. He can't get it. It's gone. A home run into the party deck in front of the great wall of Flushing. Brandon Nimmo with an opposite field home run. His second home run of the game, his 10th home run of the year. The Mets are leading by a score of 4-0. A badly needed game for the Mets. They win 7-2. Nimmo pitched in, as we said. Francisco Lindor had a good game. David Peterson threw well in his first outing after being promoted back from the minor leagues. So much swirling around this team. And Billy Epler, the Mets general manager, met with reporters before the game, and he talked about the biggest surprise of the year. I'd say the biggest deviation, I think, from I think what the forecast or predictions or uh, any of the projections kind of put um, is on the pitching side. I'd say that's deviated more than, uh, you know, more than the offense. Um, so that and some of our uh, on-field execution and, uh, you know, converting balls into, balls into outs and, you know, base running and things like that. So I think those are the, those are the things that, um, you know, we're all aware of and things that we're addressing. But um, I think those are the things that, are, that stand out the most. The trade deadline, of course, a little more than a month away. And Epler talked about the time that the Mets still have left to turn it around. Give a listen. One of the benefits you have is that every time you, you, know, you play, um, you have a chance of changing the story. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a decent amount of runway here uh, before the deadline. And so, uh, you know, would hope that we can change the story. And if we, we can, then we can add. Um, and, uh, you know, if it doesn't, then, then we'll just have to kind of create um, other opportunities and, and see what else exists out there and see how we can kind of serve the long-term blueprint of the organization. But um, right now, it's the kind of the focus is on the present and, um, you know, how we, can, uh, how we can attack each day. At present, the Mets manager, Buck Showalter, has been the target of a lot of criticism from the media and from fans. Epler was asked about him. Buck's had uh, a good amount of adversity kind of heaped his way, and I think it started, um, it started in spring training. Uh, with the loss of Diaz and, um, you know, losing some of the, the pitchers for a time being, you know, Justin being out at the start of the year, Max, um, you know, um, you know, his suspension and kind of the irregular workload. And so um, I think Bucks, you know, handled that adversity. And I think he's the, uh, the guy to get us back on track. Yeah. So we'll have to see about that as we move forward. Uh, as we said, Steve Cohen has announced they'll have a press conference later today. Uh, no major changes are expected today. 
But uh, I think this is a case where the Mets owner wants to talk with the reporters. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, that Steve Cohen tweet was, I, w- I would say, not political or anything, very Trumpian. You know, you're going to hear it from me tomorrow, you know? By the way, you know, it's funny about, about how you say that. Uh, it's very Trumpian. I will absolutely believe, and I don't, I, I want to remove all politics from this. It's more about sort of how you operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Donald Trump learned a lot of what he did from George Steinbrenner. You know, they were friends. Mm, I like Steinbrenner it. was the guy who was out, you know, dominating the back pages in New York in the 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, sometimes when uh, I was covering the Yankees, you'd see Donald Trump over in the, his box. And that's what George did when he took over the Yankees. He wanted to dominate the back pages. He wanted to dominate the conversation, you know, announcing changes on his own, not telling his media relations people, not even telling his general managers or managers that he was going to make changes. I think Trump took a page from him. And so, you know, but I I would say this. I don't think Steve Cohen is anything like either Steinbrenner or Trump in Uh terms of making changes on the fly. Yeah. And that's we are in lockstep because that was the other thing I thought about. I was like, oh, if George Steinbrenner had Twitter, this would be something he would fire off. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Get your popcorn ready. I'm excited. I I don't know. How, How do you feel about like. Like, you know, they're saying all these nice things about Buck Walter. Sometimes that can be a little kiss of deathy, but maybe in this instance, it's not. You're saying it's not. Well, and it, yeah. No, no, we'll no, find no, out. no. And no one's saying anything nice about Buck Walter other than Billy Epler right now. I can tell you. <laughs> it's uh, to read the game stories and to read the columns and, and stuff. Uh, you know, I think I personally agree with what Billy Epler was saying, though. It's on the pitching. You know, mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a core of what's uh, gone wrong for them this year. All right. I interrupted you. No, no, it's fine. Uh, this is so we got a lot to talk about on the Baseball Tonight podcast, but our football podcast, they're like plants that need a little bit of water. So you got the College Game Day podcast. You got the Bill Barnwell show. Sarah's about to record that. Um, the Dominique Foxworth show. Uh, go give all those a listen. They need a little bit of love in the offseason here as we, we try and get over the hump and into football season. So check all three of those out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Eduardo Perez covers baseball for ESPN. He, of course, is an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball, and he left me with a parting shot as we said goodbye on Sunday evening, and I have to dig into this with Eduardo. 
Because on Father's Day, you know, I sort of worked around the edges with Eduardo's wife and trying to arrange it so that uh, I, I was trying to arrange it so that we would get the phone call in from Eduardo's dad to surprise him on Father's Day. And Eduardo, you know, was very happy and, and seemed like Tony was really happy. And then as we parted ways the other day, you kind of gave it up that, that you already knew this was coming, correct? No, I did not know it was coming. What I did know was after the fact, when Mirabai came back from her European vacation, she comes, uh, she showed me like the, the, the text chain and she goes, you know, Buster made all this happen. And I was like, oh, really? So it was Buster. And the last time I had seen you was actually at the airport. As as Carl and I were going off to our our airplane in Boston, and you're like, I'm not going to reveal my sources, but your source revealed itself. So after what is the that? Past, yeah. So, so truth be told, truth be told, Eduardo, I wanted to completely blindside you in a different way. I was pitching hard to Andy Jacobson that when you were doing the interview with Alex Verdugo and you're bringing in his dad, we're going to drop in your dad as well. So wow. both of you would have had. And, and Andy was like, well, I think that would take away from, from Alex's moment with his dad. I'm like, no, it would be awesome to see these two sons see both their parents pop up. I think, I think that would have been cool. I think Alex Verdugo's dad would have just flipped over right there. I think he would have been more excited than I would have been, to be honest with you. Because their, their, their relationship, is it seemed like it was really close, especially the way that they always greet each other and how they call each other names, you know, as as a as as a affection of love, butthead, and I'm cleaning yeah. it up. It feels like they call each other butthead all the time. I know, right? But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was a great moment. And if you guys go back and look at that interview, I was actually speechless because of the the way that because of the way that Alex was also caught off guard. And um, both times, Mother's Day and Father's Day, we were able to spend it at Fenway Park. And both times, it was actually emotional for for each player this time on Father's Day for Alex Verdugo. And um, you would have gotten me. If that would have happened, Buster, old Buster. That's what I said. That's what I said to Andy. I said he would have – Eduardo was going to be overwhelmed if we do it this way because he will have no thought that this would happen. Buster, you got turned out again by Andy. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Welcome to the club. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so today, Steve Cohen's going to hold a press conference. Uh, the message inside the building at City Field is he's not coming out to fire anybody. I do like the fact, that, Eduardo, that he's coming out, and he's like Harry Truman. The buck stops here. He's the leader. He's going to answer questions today. I think that's important, especially with questions about what direction they're going to take going forward. If you're Steve Cohen, what's your message to Billy Epler, his general manager, and to Buckshell Walter, the manager? Stay the course. Yes, we have invested $355 million um, as far as salary-wise, but we've done it. Uh, we've done it with uh, understanding that we have the talent. It just hasn't worked out early on. There's been a lot of injuries that have happened. There's been a lot of things that, that, that could have gone better, but he still has to send a message to the team that he does believe in them. And what we cannot forget is that Steve Cohen was a Mets fan before he was an owner. It's not a, just a business transaction for him. He feels every game. We see it in his tweets. We see the emotion that he has when the team does well. We've seen the emotion that happens when the team does not do well. And one thing that Steve Cohen does have is he knows that 
the fans believe in him because he's invested in those fans. But right now they do have to stay the course. I, I do also understand that yesterday um, a lot of the coaches had midseason meetings with uh, the front office as well to evaluate where they are uh, with the players and with the organization itself. So I think that weighs also into this conversation that's going to be had today. Yeah, well, and that's uh, that's really interesting uh, that that happened at this time. So have you ever, do you play poker at all? Um, I'm not good at it, Buster, but I'll try to put on my best poker face here. Okay, so to me, just pure mathematics, since Steve Cohen is a math guy, you stay in it because you've got already put so much into the into the middle of the table, right? You made a huge bet on this team, so you're going to ride it out to some degree. And I gave the stat yesterday, Eduardo, that I got from Elias, that in each of the last four full seasons in Major League Baseball, starting in 2019, 2020, 21, 22, uh, a team has come back from at least eight and a half games back to, in the wild card race to make the playoffs. In 2019, it was the Nats. In 2022, uh, it was the Seattle Mariners. And so I think if you're the Mets, you have no choice but to do that going forward and not, you know, not, uh, you know, not consider trading until you get, you know, until you fall deeper out. If they're terrible for the next three weeks, then yeah, okay. But for now, no, I don't think you can. I think the, the biggest issue here is that we are in the unknown. We're in the unknown this year because of the balanced schedule. And I think that's played against a lot of teams. Uh, and, you know, we don't know if teams like the New York Mets that have started off really badly, if teams like the San Diego Padres or team like the Chicago White Sox, three teams that we thought uh, early in the season should have an opportunity of making the postseason and are not even close to it right now, uh, if they're able to rebound from their slow starts because of the, uh, of the, of the balanced schedule. But, we have seen teams like the San Francisco Giants who maybe a month and a half ago weren't even considered to be in it. They got hot in a hurry uh, and, and they've been, they're right in the thick of things in the, in the national league West. We've seen teams like the Miami Marlins the same way they got hot. And because of that, do they have a chance? I believe they do. I think their schedule is going to get a little bit easier as, yep. as August comes along in September, and they could have that opportunity. They have to look at every uh, every part of the game. But I, I will say that I got together with one of the players of the Mets a couple days ago, and um, he was concerned. He was concerned also about what what is wrong with the team. Is it the clubhouse? Is it uh, the leadership? Is it, you know, is it the veteran players? Is it too much of them? Uh, but uh, you know they they will consider they will continue to battle and and that's the one thing that a lot of those veteran players have to consider and do is is continue to battle but their defense has to be better Buster they have not played great defense as of late and I think that's one of the biggest issues of what's going on with the New York Mets. So if the Mets aren't the most disappointing team in baseball then it would be the San Diego Padres the team that I picked to win the World Series before the year started. <laughs> They had a 3-0 lead against the Pirates last night, immediately gave it up. And look, you've spent your life in clubhouses, so I want to ask you to translate some of these words that came out of their clubhouse last night uh, after they lost to the Pirates. Bob Melvin, their manager, who, like Buck Showalter, is uh, the subject of a lot of speculation in San Diego about whether or not he's going to be able to keep his job. His quote to reporters after the game, we scored three runs, had some good momentum. 
you give up three, but that shouldn't be it. You know, they come back with a couple, and then it just seemed like they had a little bit more spirit the rest of the game than we did. Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, according to Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union Tribune, disagreed with the assessment that the Padres lacked fire. Uh, what he told reporters was they were hitting and we were not. Just that, I don't think it's being flat. Everybody's putting the amount of effort that everybody can put out there. We just didn't have the result we wanted. When Manny Machado, who I think you would agree with me, is the leader of that team, was approached by reporters, he declined to speak, and he said, I don't have time. Eduardo, for a team that's struggling, how do you translate all that? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough right there. That shows a little frustration on that end. Look, this is a start yesterday that was supposed to be started by you, Darvish right now fell under the weather and because of that you know they had to put it together they had to pace it together and early on the game that was going to be the biggest question can they hold off on the pirates offense and give their offense a chance their offense gave them three run cushion um the pitching couldn't hold and you know when you have a team and the reason i believe you not only chose the san diego padres was because of their defense it was also because of their starting staff and 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 not having Darvish for that start, I think not being able to eat up innings, not being able to keep it close, has that effect on that game. But this is more than just one game. This is this is what's going on with the bad season that if it's Manny Machado had early on, if it's the bad season early on that Soto had, who has now played unbelievably uh, yep. uh, with that. But to get those guys to play better together, I think is I think it's a, I think it's a major factor there. Um, they've hit. They just haven't been able to score timely, and in timely ways. And it's 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 a frustration overall. I think it's trying to figure out who you're. Remember early on in the year we talked about no. When Fernando Tatis comes back, he's going to be the leadoff hitter. He's going to be the spark plug. That didn't last too long. And I thought you know you're going to stick with that guy because. That's it's just like in LA. They, they tried Mookie Betts in so many positions. Uh, Boston did the same thing, and then they realized Mookie's the best leadoff hitter they have, even though he does hit home runs, even though he does do a lot of things. Maybe that could work in the three spot, but Dave Rod- Roberts figured out just leave Mookie at number one and we'll be better. Um, they have to leave Fernando Tatis at number one. And let I'm surprised, Eduardo, that. I'm surprised because, Bob, when we talked, and you were in the room when we had the conversation, he talked about the phrase he used, it was like a hurricane coming at you, uh, like right from the beginning, and he saw the effect on opposing pitchers, on opposing teams. And, you know, his reference after the game last night was about energy, and when he moved him out of leadoff spot, I was surprised because he was so adamant about the the impact that he felt uh, when Tatis Jr. was hitting out of leadoff spot. And if he used that reference... And, you know, I took it personal a little bit because I do live in the hurricane uh, area here. And it is hurricane season. If it is, let the kid, let the kid go out there. Yeah, he's going to go 0 for 4 sometimes, but he's going to do something spectacular. He's played spectacular in right field. He's done some dynamic stuff out there. But even though, like, Kim got three hits yesterday, it's not the same as if Fernando Tatis uh, gets on base twice. He ignites. He calls that attention. And then you can put in if it's Manny Machado in the two-spotter, Juan Soto, who also he's had issues with because Juan wants to hit third. And ever since Juan's hit third, he's done better. But who cares if you have a Machado and a Tatis back-to-back? Righty-righty. They're still going to yeah. hit right. 
still going to hit lefties. Um, I know it's going to make it a little bit easier for the pitching, but you could still put Soto in the three spot. You could still have Bogarts in the fourth spot, and then you can create a little havoc in the in the back end. But but um, overall, this is a team that should and should play better. But I don't hang this all on Bob Melvin. No, <laughs> no, I always think. Uh... You know, and there have been statistical studies about the practical impact of managers. Um, and, and as you know, the, the, generally speaking, front offices don't think managers make a huge difference in the standings. That being said, we saw the Philadelphia Phillies completely ignited last year after Rob Thompson took over from Joe Girardi. So I, I do feel like we, we should put in that caveat. Shohei Otani, two home runs last night, a 10-strikeout outing. Look, we've talked so much about his free agency and how he's doing things that we've never seen before. He's going to get a contract we've never seen before. Uh, I want to ask you, because you know hitting so well, about why it is that he's gotten better as a hitter. Last year, his improvement was mostly as a pitcher. This year, it's as a hitter. I texted with Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, uh, earlier this month about what he's seeing in Otani. And he talked about how in the past you could see Otani from time to time spin off balls as a left-handed hitter, especially against left-handed pitching. And then in that series in Texas, what Boach said is he's hitting balls into the second deck and left center field as a left-handed hitter. He said our right-handed hitters can't hit the ball there. And he talked about how he feels like that for whatever reason, Otani is much better staying on the ball, through the ball, working the middle of the field. What do you see in him as a hitter? Buster, what's better? To have to see the ball as a hitter where the ball looks like a softball when you're hitting, or is it better to see the field like it's a little league field and it's only 225 from line to line? Otani does both. It looks like he, he, he sees the ball like a softball, and at the same time, he sees the field like a little league field. He can hit it to either way. Yesterday, the second home run he hit was a pitch that missed location. Yes, it was supposed to be away, yet it hit middle, and he hit it to left center field with ease. And he doesn't move his head. Side shot to that home run um, is one to be able to, to show the body balance that he has. For a guy that was pitching in that game, who doesn't have as much leg strength or shouldn't have, better said, as much leg strength as he did for that home run. The bottom half was quiet, and he was able to see the pitch and drill the pitch, allow it to get deep, and go deep with it. The first at-bat, it's different. He hooked it, and he hit it out front, but he keeps the bat head in the zone so long, and this is why he's that unicorn. This is why he's so special. This is why he will command more than $500 million. And I will say more than probably, by the time that contract is over, maybe more than a billion when it comes to endorsements and everything. This wow. is how, it, we, because we haven't even considered the endorsements. He makes, you know, $30 million this year, with, but with endorsements, over $70 million. And if he's going to make that in salary, just the five hundred, what then is he going to make in endorsements? This will be the most special player I think we're going to see in our generation because right. of what he does on the field, off the field, on the mound, at the batter's box, and how he sees the ballpark a lot smaller than we do. Quick answer, which team do you think he's going to sign with next year? Just a guess. I'm not going to hold you to it because we're all guessing. As one uh, executive said to me, anybody who pretends they know what's going on with that guy is full of garbage. Wow. 
I, I kind of want to jump on the bandwagon and say LA, the yeah. Dodgers. I kind of want to do that, but I'm not going to. Uh, just because I want to be a little different. And I won't say the Yankees. I am going to say the Seattle Mariners just to throw some curveball out there. Just to throw a <laughs> curveball out there. Okay. Uh, it. It is going to be interesting. I you know, mentioned in the past that a lot of people believe that if Otani had made the decision, if the DH had been the National League when he made his first decision to sign with the Angels, that he would have gone to the Dodgers. That's what a lot of executives believe. But, again, they acknowledge it's all speculation because nobody really knows what Otani is going to value when, uh, when he hits the market this fall. Uh, before you go, uh, I want to ask you about this incredible throw that Bo Naylor of the Cleveland Guardians made to second base last night. Give a listen to this. Runner goes. Pitch almost went to the backstop, and Naylor still threw him out. Holy oh, mackerel, what a job. It. How he turned and threw that ball there and got him out. I didn't think he had any chance whatsoever. This is wild. That was a pitch out, and Stefan missed it. Did you see him step out? It was going to be a pitch out. They know he was going to go. What a job by Naylor. Beautiful. Look at, he did a 360. Yeah, so it was a right-handed batter. He steps uh, toward the left-handed batter's box for the pitch out. The ball, however, is high and inside the right-handed batter. And Naylor gloved the ball with his left hand. And Eduardo did a 360 and fired to second base. And I must say... That might be as good a throw as I've ever seen a catcher make as athletic a play. What do you think? That was an unbelievable, unbelievable play right there by by uh, by Bo. You know, he got his first base hit just this past week, and his brother was celebrating in a major way. I wonder if his uh, – I, I would have loved to have seen his brother's reaction on this one after the fact in the clubhouse when they got to see it over and over again. Because it must have been crazy. Sandy Alomar, who's the uh, catching coach, I might have to call him right after this just to say, look, are you teaching these guys this play now? What's going on? <laughs> uh, but this was a remarkable play. This is why I love this game. We don't get to see uh, – we get to see something new every time. This is something new that we got to see. A, a modified pitch out that he thought was going to be a complete pitch out and turned into probably one of the top ten plays of the year. Yeah, I can't wait to – it talks me about the feedback you get from Sandy because his opinion is certainly a lot more than a lot uh, more important than mine, and he's seen a lot of catchers through the years. All right, sir. Thanks, Eduardo. I'll see you in New York. You got it. Looking forward to it. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN and also uh, for Dodger Games on their television network. Jess, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm it's summer. It's baseball season, like all around. We got all stars in Little League. We got Major League going full full throttle, and there's like really nothing else happening except for baseball. So that that makes me happy. Okay, but you're a little bit muted. I'm trying to figure. Is normally, you know, you're just absolutely bubbling over with energy. You're, you're, you know, it feels like you're right on the verge of shouting and yet you're a little bit quiet. What's that about? Why you got to call me out, Buster? I mean, because <laughs> I'm way West Coast and my entire family is asleep right now. And so I'm hiding in a corner in a closet <laughs> to do the podcast because when summer also means that everyone in my house sleeps in, um, including my kiddos, which um, usually they're up and crazy, but um, because we've got baseball all-stars and we're at the field all day, they sleep in, uh, which is good and bad. It's bad when you're doing a podcast and you're hiding in your like t-shirts trying to talk. <laughs> well, I can relate for sure uh, because as you know, you know, doing a Sunday morning sports centers, like, uh, you know, be in a hotel someplace out on the West coast to do a, like a 9am sports center uh, back east, and I'm always worried about like my neighbors. You know, in, in a hotel, you're waking them up where you're shouting and Shohei Otani, such a great player, and thinking those poor people. And but you know what? It's a hit and run for me. Like I'm, I, I don't know even know who's in the room next door. You, on the other hand, you have to answer to all these people in the morning if I get <laughs> you going and shouting about Mookie Betts and JD Martinez and Shohei Otani. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, then, then my biggest fear is I'm going to get the like, mom, like in the middle of the podcast, yelling out, like, I got to pee or some kind of, you know, <laughs> everyone's been there when you're doing Zooms, you're doing things from home. The last thing I want to do is wake the beast. And that includes my husband and kids. <laughs> All right. So, you know, Mookie Betts well, I mentioned uh, you uh, working broadcast for the Dodgers. Uh, you've gotten to know him through the year. So I want to retell this story that he told yesterday about his decision to participate in the home run derby. I walked up to him on Saturday at Dodger stadium and I was like, Hey, you know, I saw that, you know, what's that about it? And he said to me, I still don't want to do the home run derby. His wife protesting the idea of doing the derby. And he said, you know, my wife, uh, Brianna, uh, has told me that I need to do it. And that, you know, I've done a lot of different things, but by doing this, I can check the box and I can do it. And he's talked, as I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, he talked in the past about wanting to raise awareness for black culture. Uh, and he feels like this is a platform that he needs to do. And based on my conversation, and I know he's a really competitive guy and he's an amazing athlete, he has zero expectation, Jess, that he actually might win. <laughs> he said to me, I don't even hit home runs in batting practice. But Mookie feeling like, you know what, this is something I could do. It's something I should do. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's, first of all, if you know Brianna Betts, like that's for sure what went down. <laughs> she was like, Mookie, what I love about it, though, is is the absolute, like, 
truth of like how dedicated he's been to making sure there is a player that represents the black community, not only obviously within Major League Baseball, but within that derby. Um, he's really taken pride in that. Um, a lot of that has to do with his family and Brianna, um, but he's very truthful in that. Um, and COVID, you know, really, I think, allowed him to have more like internal conversations, understanding um, of what he has been for so many people. I think when things slow down and you kind of like get more of that realization, I think that so many of us did. And that's where I give Mookie a ton of credit. And so I laughed. I actually heard you talking about it on Sunday Night Baseball. And I laughed because Brianna, like I have this whole image of her just being like, Mookie, this is what you're going to do. And like total husband, like happy wife, happy life. Like, here we go. Like, I just love that her way of like, it's not like I need you to clean the dishes more. I need you to do laundry. It's like, I need you to hit the derby, dude. Like, what are we doing? Come on. Like, I need you to show off what you can do because to be honest, Mookie is also incredibly humble. And you know this, Buster, you've been around him a long time. He does not, and I don't mean humble like he's trying to be humble. He genuinely does not see the talent that he possesses. And so in his mind, he still thinks he's like a doubles hitter, that he's someone that just puts the ball in play, like that does not have the capability of hitting the amount of home runs that he already has shown over the course of his career, but also in a derby. Um, plus he's in incredible shape, which as you know, it's like cardio hitting. <laughs> you need to be able to do that. So I, I also laugh because his wife probably sees the talent more than he does. And he's probably like, Oh my gosh, I'm not even going to hit one. This is going to be embarrassing, but I'll do it. Whatever you say, when we all know he'll put on a show and it's freaking amazing to have him be a part of it. Okay, you're more optimistic than I am because I always feel like the home run derby is a, is basically a battle among these monsters uh, because you're going to have over the course of the derby you're going to have times when you miss hit the ball and and guys can still hit the ball 430 feet. We saw with Alex Bregman that's hard if you're you know five nine one seventy. So you're you're feeling like he's going to be so consistent, kind of like the year that Lance Berkman just rifled ball after ball after ball after ball into the Crawford seats and won the derby. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you that we see the big dudes and the ease that they have of just hitting the ball so incredibly far. I think Mookie, you know, his hands are just, that's the beauty of it, is like when you're full max effort body trying to hit those out, it's so hard. But he's got some of the best hands that allow him to have that bat speed. That And that's the beauty of it is like, I mean, hands do get tired too, but when you're just trying to use your entire body to be able to do it, like his hands could do it on his own. Like I've seen him do ridiculous things when his body's not even, it's not even his body. It's literally just the the wrist, what he's able to, to what he's capable of. And so I see him getting into a rhythm where I don't know who's going to pitch to him. Maybe it's Dino Ebel. We've seen him do it from the Dodgers in the past. It's Clay like, McCullough is going to pitch to him. Okay. Well, to be able to hit that spot that he needs over and over and over again, shoot, I, I don't doubt him at all. Okay. Uh, J.D. Martinez, career homer number 300 last night. He's had a phenomenal year for the Dodgers. Uh, I wondered, watching him go through his season last uh, in 2022 with the Red Sox, whether or not we were seeing the end of J.D. Martinez, but it's pretty clear this year he's got a lot left. Yeah, and that's, first of all, you credit the Dodgers for the one-year deal that they signed to him, but you also think about who he's reuniting with um, in Robert Vonskoyak, his best friend, his hitting coach from the last decade. Um, I mean, they are 
so close and being around them this year, Buster, <laughs> I mean, it's like Mutt and Jeff, like literally the two of them just follow each other around messing with each other. I mean, RVS can literally get in his grill and just kind of tell him the truth. Like, what are you doing, dude? Come on, let's do this. Let's try this. And you, you saw this Buster. Cause I remember talking to you about it when RVS joined the Dodgers and was no longer allowed to work with JD when he was in Boston, because clearly being the hitting coach for Los Angeles, you're not going to be able to work with other, other players. We saw how that affected JD and he was honest about it. I mean, he is someone that is very cerebral, very in his head, very much depends on that like external help, whether it's electronics, whether it's the iPad, you know, watching film and also verbal, like who's there in his ear, being able to talk to him, tell him, work with him. And even when it was afar from RVS, it worked so well. When he had to shut that door, it affected JD. So to see the reunion (laughs) of those two, but also just an understanding of JD not being done yet and the Dodgers being able to sign him to this one-year deal and, oh my gosh, what they're getting out of him. The two home runs hit him hitting his 300th home run, but also just the slug on the team. I don't want to say they need it because obviously with Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Will Smith, it's not like they're lacking slug. Um, but there's been times he has had to carry them. And a lot of that has to be on the flip side because they're, they're pitching. So Dave Roberts uh, said to me earlier this year that the dynamic between J.D. Martinez and Robert Banskoyak is like two brothers, except on day-to-day basis, you're not sure who the older brother is. Yes. They give each other such a hard time. And I was thinking about it. It kind of reminds me of a, a, a really competitive, productive relationship between a golfer and his caddy, between a, you know, a, a coach in tennis. It's not something you typically see in baseball because a lot of these coaches, they deal with a lot of players and they might have a good relationship with a player, but it does feel very one-on-one-ish, even as Robert works with other guys. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing is they have a bond of a friendship. Um, like talking to them, it, it's... <laughs> literally it's it's like they can literally speak to each other without using words like they'll i'll I'll watch rbs around the cage when jd is hitting and he'll look they'll smile they'll kind of point to something like that kind of nonverbal communication it's it's almost like a marriage that's what i would actually compare it to because you know buster like when you're you're in a relationship where you don't even need to say words because like you literally just connect on so many different ways that like it's like okay i got you i know exactly what you're saying fine fine you're you're almost having even arguments without even talking that's those two and they are they're like little kids honestly um but it's it's actually a pretty cool thing especially in the sport of baseball when you could have a bond through really the beauty of hitting and the understanding of hitting and and the dedication that the two of them have to that perfect swing that they're constantly searching for. All right. Maybe I don't know it that well. Cause I got divorced. Uh, <laughs> I got three quick ones for you before you go. Shohei Otani. We talked with Eduardo about uh, his improvement as a hitter. Tell me what you see in that regard. Cause you love hitting. I just see a, a comfort in, in patience of him waiting longer. And it, we've talked about a lot of the opposite field and center field home runs. And even looking at the two that he hit yesterday, there's just a patience. When when you watched him before, he's so explosive. I mean, so, and it's obviously a different swing, but a lot of it's pull and a lot of it's trying to figure out how to pull, how to jump. Like you, you see him get anxious and try to, you know, throw himself out there. Um, with his body. And now there's an understanding of how ridiculously strong he is. And there's a flexibility there too. Like sometimes I want to just pause his swing buster 
when he makes contact closer to the back leg, because that's where he's understanding that even though he has this very unique torque to his swing, the flexibility plus strength and where he can make contact to have that explosiveness, that he doesn't have to be off his front foot. And that has allowed him to just open up everything. I mean, the balls he hit yesterday were kind of more middle anyway, but like that would have been a pitch he would have jumped and tried to pull. And yes, he could have pulled those for home runs, but he also could have grounded them out to the right side, which you saw him do a lot um, getting out in front. Because once you tell your body go, when it's Shohei Otani, it's, it's a whole lot of levers and a whole lot of different moving parts. So now you see him just wait. And there's this patience and understanding of like, I can hit things further deep into the zone, um, which is one of the hardest things to do when you're a hitter like him, because you, you, you want to get out there. You are excited because you can hit anything, but then to really understand, okay, but I can wait. And because of that, I can recognize off speed. I can recognize breaking balls because I'm allowing myself to have power more off my back leg instead of off my front foot. Yeah, as you were describing that, I was thinking of your good friend, Billy Jean King. He kind of hits a baseball thrown at 100 miles per hour the way a tennis player waits, you know, to determine whether to go up the line or, or go the other way. So it, it is, it's remarkable. 30 seconds on this. Uh, tell me about the Giants. And do you think this is real? Because I can, I'll admit, I kind of saw them early in the year. I was like, nah, they're not very good, but they're clearly a lot better than I thought. Well, Buster, they weren't good. <laughs> They were not. I had them in <laughs> April right after opening day. And I was like, oh, buddy, this is going to be a season. And they weren't hurt or there were no excuses. There was no like, yeah, but they don't have this guy. They had everybody. And they just weren't clicking. They weren't figuring it out. And oh, my goodness, I had them last week. The biggest thing that impresses me, well, two actually two things. One, they're pitching. I mean, even, you know, Alex Wood and the way that the Giants manipulate their stuff, you know, he wasn't the the starter, you know, they had an opener and then they use Alex Wood. Um, I saw him against the Dodgers as well and the way that he's able to spin it. There's also um, defense. They, when I said they were awful, they couldn't catch. They literally couldn't play catch. Like balls would be hit. They were throwing them out in the stands. It was ugly, ugly baseball. And that's where I was like, oh man, it's going to be, it's going to be feel like 262 games for this team, but they are the most improved team on that alone. And one key, you know, person I'm going to give you is Patrick Bailey behind the plate. He's a name that does not get thrown around at all, especially when you have you know, some of the other names that have been doing so well, obviously Michael Conforter and J.D. Davis, but Patrick Bailey behind the plate has been phenomenal. He is huge for their pitchers. He has been unbelievable at, at just being a defensive catcher. He's hitting, he's doing so many things. He's young and he is leading. If you just watch Patrick Bailey when you watch a Giants game, watch what he's doing in and around the dugout. Watch what he's doing behind the plate, how he's leading, how he's understanding. And honestly, Buster, the biggest way you can tell is because all of their starting p- pitching that were adamant that they were going to call their own game have now completely stopped and given that to Patrick Bailey to call the game. That tells you everything no you need to know. Wow. Yeah, he's got, he's got a ton of energy. We talked, uh, you know, we've talked this week about the impact of uh, individual players, you know, rookies with their teams, and, and he certainly is uh, someone who's in the conversation. All right, Jess, we got through the whole podcast, and apparently we didn't wake anybody up. Yeah, no one's jumped in here yet. I'm going to open the closet door and see if they're waiting for me on the outside. 
Bleacher Tweets. Already Buster Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. PK Steinberg writes in Epler's Angels teams didn't really do that well. So should we not be surprised that his Mets teams are also struggling, thinking in particular of the Angels' poor pitching rotations? Yeah, PK, I, I, I'm just not going to co-sign on that because I just don't think you can compare like the pitching staffs. You know what the Angels have? The Mets have guys who are going to make speeches in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the best reliever in baseball. He blew out his knee. Verlander and Scherzer should be unanimous selections for the Hall of Fame. The Mets made big bets on them. They haven't paid off so far. I, I don't think that's comparable to what happened with Billy and the Angels. What do you think, uh, Sarah? I agree. I don't think you can compare the two. That's not a fair comparison in my mind. Yeah, PK, not fair. Decide. Yeah, get out of here, PK. <laughs> Respectfully. Kindly. <laughs> Keep tweeting at us, PK. Oh, yes, <laughs> Ryan Lorenz at Doc Lorenz writes, and do you think all the hype around Ellie De La Cruz being called up has overshadowed the season that Mac McLean has been having so far? And I agree because uh, he hit a bomb against the Orioles last night. Uh, he's He's looked awesome, and he's definitely been a little bit under the radar. Yeah, and I love the way he plays. I, I think I said in the podcast last week, or maybe I said on a radio show, when you watch Matt McClain play, and I think he's going to wind up finishing second or third for National League Rookie of the Year, it's like he's coming for your lunch. Like, he is so <laughs> serious in how he goes about his work. Uh-huh. Now, Ellie De La Cruz is so effusive, and he's uh, such an, an incredible uh, – you just you can't take your eyes off Ellie De La Cruz, but Matt McClain is just hitting you with body shots. Yeah. Amy Chapman writes in Buster, when you were on PTI yesterday, Tony told Mike that you could do two things he couldn't, milk a cow and make bagels. I'm intrigued. What's your favorite type of bagel and what recipe do you use? Do any ballparks sell decent bagels? I didn't know that about you. So back back when I was in college, I worked in two bagel places. Uh, and just to be clear, this was like a mass production type issue. So if you mm-hmm. needed me to make you a bagel with dough, I wouldn't know how to do that. But I, I could cook a huge batch of dough and I could bake 125 dozen an hour. Uh, and my favorite to bake uh, was, without a doubt, uh, sesame. Like, that okay. was fun to bake. You, you know, you got it. You, had, you boil it in the water. You put it on the boards. You have a rotating shelf. You do it for like two hours. You know, it, it was, I, I enjoyed doing that. I could do that now. StatCast loves your, uh, your bagels per hour that you're turning Well, out. and I always jokingly said, that uh, I, I was the fastest bagel baker in three states because I grew up in Vermont, baked in New Hampshire and in Tennessee. And there weren't a lot of bagel places in Tennessee, let me tell you. Ooh, I bet. Probably a dearth of bagels. Last one for today. Don Irvine writes, and Orioles fans are rightfully giddy about the team this year, but how many of them realize that this will be as good as it gets once uh, as soon as, you know, with Angela's checkbook being closed for their star players? Don, I couldn't agree more. Sign Adley Rutschman. Sign Gunnar Henderson. Sign Jordan Westberg, who's looked awesome so far since coming up from the minors. Uh, couldn't agree more, Don. Yeah, and I'm curious about, uh, I'm sure you read about this, how that they, they paid off the Nationals. Masson, they, mm-hmm. they settled that whole situation with Washington. We haven't talked about it on the podcast. You would think that that would clear the decks for the Orioles to spend money on their players, Taylor, because now they have certainty with their financial situation. So far, hasn't we haven't seen it. It feels like a giant distraction until they actually invest in players long-term. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yep, yep. And I think if you asked John Angelos to open up the books, first of all, he'd say no. Second of all, he would say, hey, we need to finish our business with the state of Maryland on you know getting more funding for the stadium that he doesn't want to spend money on. So. No, that's not what he would say. <laughs> he would say, we're going to show you the books, but I can't tell you when. And then he would never show you the books. 
John Fisher got pretty close with his, uh, you know, in-game ticket revenue. So maybe, maybe that's something to be gleaned. But anyway, <laughs> hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back on Friday. Thanks, everyone. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Jess Eduardo, Sarah Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.